0: Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightning and I am here with my co-host Zinc, the element on the periodic table. Our guest today is President Paul Scriver. He's the president of Shoreland Lutheran High School where I'm the teacher. I'm a German and religion teacher uh, and so it's nice to have a little focus on Lutheran education and our
1: our Federated High School here. Welcome, President Scriver. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the conversation.
2: And if you want to explain where we're recording, too, in case there's sounds behind us.
0: Yes, we are recording in my classroom, and every so often there's an announcement over the PA system, so you can just ignore that if you're listening to this uh, recording. That, that We'll just move past it.
2: Yeah, well, and there's also herds of high schoolers uh, going through the, the boys' con-
0: basketball team congregates next door, so they might get a little rowdy. I don't know.
1: All kinds of action here after after the bell rings. Right, it picks yeah. up actually.
2: So, Paul, why don't you tell us before you came to Shoreland, where were you assigned to? Where were you a teacher before?
1: So, I graduated from Martin Luther Co- Doctor Martin Luther College in 1986, and was assigned to Zion Lutheran church and school in Morrison, Wisconsin. So Morrison is about 16 miles south of Green Bay and about 20 miles to the west of Manitowoc and about the same distance from Appleton. So I grew up in the La Crosse, Wisconsin area, and once I heard the name uh, Zion Morrison, I, I really didn't know where that was, but um, the six years that we spent there was a was a real blessing. So I was assigned to teach grades three through five. Uh, I was the athletic director and coach. And so for six years, I got to be a third grade teacher, which was, uh, I think, super interesting for me, but probably more interesting for my third graders.
2: That's pretty much the same as dealing with high schoolers, right? Oh,
1: (laughs) yeah, it goes full circle. Go from third grade to seniors. And some of the things are the same.
2: Well, I just remember... uh, Back when God called home uh, one of the Shoreland teachers, that was a long time ago. And then I got called in, and I taught a religion course. And I was nervous about teaching high schoolers. And then one of our members, who was a Shoreland teacher, said, "Just treat them like like kindergartners, and you'll be fine." And you know that was that was good advice. Or act, treating them like my seventh and eighth graders because they complained about homework and memory work. And so did the high schoolers too. Yep. there were, there really wasn't that much difference for uh, from being in the middle school.
0: So, what was it like uh, growing up? I always loved just over Thanksgiving, drove through Lacrosse. I always loved driving through Lacrosse and, and my travels between Mis- Minnesota and Wisconsin. Uh, what was it like growing up there?
1: I loved it. I when I go back there now, it uh, probably didn't appreciate it as much as I I should have when I was growing up there as. Uh, I, we moved there when I was five years old. I was born, actually, in Hammond, Indiana. My dad taught at uh, in Crete, Illinois, or Sauk Village, and then we moved to La Crosse area. My dad started teaching at onalaska Luther High School. And so, uh, just beautiful. Enjoyed the bluffs. We eventually moved to just off the U- University of Wisconsin La Crosse campus in the campus house. So, I grew up around uh, a bunch of college kids who lived in our house and uh, interacted with the college and the bluffs in the river. It's a beautiful place to grow up.
0: And so you went to Onalaska then for yep. high school?
1: I went to Onalaska Luther, uh, graduated in 1982 and then went off to Dr. Martin Luther college. Nice.
2: And then where did you go from the green Bay area? Did you go to another grade school or did you come here?
1: Nope. I went to, uh, so I taught grades three to five there and I had, uh, a call to St. John's in Burlington, Wisconsin. Right. So I was, Called to teach grades 6th and 7th, and then athletic director, and then the last five years of my time there, I was principal at St. John's in Burlington. So, got to be a part of a school that uh, built on just before I came, and then went from about 130 kids to 240 s- students in about about seven or eight years. So, it was a a great time to be at St. John's and learned a lot about ministry and being a school leader. And then got the call here.
2: So you went from a grade school that had more students than the high school that you came to.
1: Yeah, it was about the same. When I came here, it was about 286. Okay. So, and then kind of fluctuated back and forth. So it's been kind of nice to see growth here. It was starting at about 286, 290, and now we're 385 students.
0: we set a record this year, right?
1: Yep, yep. Set another record every year. We set another record with enrollment next year anticipating that we could be as, uh, as much as 425, so a jump of about 40 students.
2: And where are you going to put 425 that students? That is a good
1: question. We are uh, making plans now to rearrange a few things. Um, we do have plans to add classrooms on, but that's going to take a couple of years, so we're going to have to be creative with how we uh, fit the 425 this year, and then the following school year we could be around 450 students. So it'll be challenging, fun. A wonderful problem to have. It is. It is a great problem to have.
2: And how how long has Shoreland been around?
1: This is year fifty one. So Shoreland started down in the two congregations, Frieden's and Mount Zion in Kenosha, and then in nineteen seventy eight they in nineteen seventy one they actually started tenth grade because their school was uh, K through eight nine, and they added the tenth grade in nineteen seventy one, and then in nineteen seventy eight they moved. Moved operations out here to the Summers campus.
2: I know, Paul, uh, you and I were talking about this on Monday at the general board meeting. If you want to explain to, to people, you know, what is a pacer? Because that's, <laughs> that's the mascot for Shoreline, is it's a pacer. And if you come to basketball games especially, you'll have the opposing fans will say, what is a pacer, and chant that out. So what is a pacer?
1: Well, what it's not is the uh, kind of car that was made in Kenosha. The, I think it was AMC, AMC Pacer. So it's not that. And it is a question that's asked of almost every student body: What's a pacer? But a pacer is just a leader. Yeah. It's uh, somebody out there, out front, living their Christian life of service to God. You know, courageously uh, setting the pace for other people.
0: So it's kind of like. The new Washington football team, they're called Commanders. <laughs> That's a leader. And, and I, nobody ever asks this question about the uh, Indianapolis basketball team. Correct. I right. don't know why it, it's such a problem for us.
1: I think it's just because we don't have some kind of a cool mascot. Right. We'll have to work on that.
2: Because we could always go back to the original mascot and original colors.
1: <laughs> we could. Yes. Actually, the original mascot for Shoreland back in the day was Sandpipers. Okay. And then at some point in time, they thought that that wasn't quite strong enough. So they changed it to the pacer. I don't I don't quite understand.
2: But the beautiful thing was back when I was at Kettle Moraine Lutheran High School yeah. in Jackson, uh, you know, we, we would play uh, strongly, maybe once or twice, I remember playing them, and then the colors just, they, they stick in your mind.
1: Yeah, brown and gold. Brown and gold. I remember them, too, from my days at Dr. Martin Luther College because— obviously you recognize students from other area lutheran high schools and we could never figure out the why people were running around in these brown and gold uh, letter jackets but and then god put me here i didn't really realize that was going to happen at one time
0: uh, I, I always think when i see the girls soccer team with their uh they've got a certain style of uniform that is uh it kind of it kind of looks like a, a bee it could be the hornets or the stingers or something
1: yeah, people are looking for something a little bit more dynamic and bold, but I don't know. Just got to be a strong pacer. Pace, I don't think we're going to change good. it. Yeah,
0: set the lead, set the pace. That's yep. good. So, Paul, if
2: you want to talk about the the expansion mm-hmm. plans then for Shoreland, because that was a big part of that general board meeting the other night. We, we approved uh, $15 million to... To bring it to the voters and so forth and to approve calling three new teachers uh, and to substitute teachers. There was something else we approved, too. feel,
1: feel, Feel free to
0: clarify that summary.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was probably one of the biggest meetings I've been a part of. And I think big from a perspective of just being around partners in ministry that, Uh, see the need to go out and try to serve more and more people with our biblically grounded, Christ-centered, gospel-driven education. I think more and more people are looking for that. And we certainly see that happening from a enrollment growth over the last few years and projections that we have. So God uh, gave us uh, two families who helped us purchase land right next door. Uh, It's been on our board of directors agenda probably for the last 10 years where I've had People telling me, Paul, we need more land. We need more land. We need more land. And then God just dropped it right next door to us. So, and doesn't
2: doesn't that amount of land? Isn't that kind of double the footprint
1: for yep. Shoreland? Actually, more. I think we have twenty two acres on our current site, and that added thirty three. So, obviously, having fifty five acres now to work with uh, gives us opportunities to think differently about what we might be able to do on the Shoreland campus. And so, we've put together a kind of a block plan. Uh, That includes some stormwater management and adding some classrooms, doing some renovating to the current facility to give us a little more gym space and a bigger lunchroom and uh, some new athletic fields possibly. So the work over the next few months is to put together some more detailed plans and go talk to people uh, to see who might want to support that from a financial perspective and then report back to the general board in May to see if, uh, you know, if this is really God's plan for us to move forward in a way that uh, we can serve more people. Realistically, uh, the facility, you know, you mentioned 425 is going to be a challenge, 450 is going to be a bigger challenge, but we have some projections two years or four years down the line that have us at 470 uh, to 480, and that's, that's going to be difficult. So, God willing uh the plans that we have can be part of god's plans too, and we can expand um, our capacity to about five hundred is our goal so that we can serve a a student body of five hundred
0: and you've said before that that is kind of a nice sweet spot of a number to have is five hundred it it does it's not so large that people get lost in the crowd, but it's not so small that there's no growth is that Kind of the
1: yeah, that's kind of the idea. just you have a you can still know everybody's name, uh keep a personal kind of ministry, build relationships with with students and um, but have the kind of uh programs and offerings that a lot of parents are looking for in a high school, and then a facility too I really we we're blessed with a really great facility, um, but it's kind of nineteen seventy eight vintage out front. And I, I know that a lot of families choose a high school based on the facilities that are there for their students. So,
2: Right, and we've talked about that with our church and so forth as we were talking about years ago moving and then now staying. <clears throat> and then with the the two campuses, we, we talked about how Lutherans were good at making do. But when you're trying to attract visitors for a church and for a Lutheran elementary school, for you with a Lutheran high school, People in the community don't want to make do; they want what's best, and and so yeah, having something that's brand new and then will attract new people to the gospel, uh, to the gospel ministry we have here. So, what kind of classes uh, have you added recently that's been popular besides Jeremy's German class?
0: Well, yeah,
1: besides that. <laughs> I was going to
0: ask, in this new plan that we're making, do you have uh, some sketches for the German wing? Uh, Yeah, we're working on that. We're going to
1: work on that next. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I think, you know, Pastor Darling or Zink, um, (laughs) you know, what you say is correct. And I think uh, for years and years we've talked about, you know, adding more space to the building. And there's, you know, wise people have told me, Paul, it's not the brick and the mortar that's going to bring people in you have to have something good going on inside the building and god's just assembled a, a wonderful team here and we've assembled a team now that has you know the number one private high school in the in racine and kenosha county we're one of the top schools in the state and so you know along with those programs obviously we teach it's all christ-centered so we think we have a really great recipe and now I think adding some facilities would just top that off with, uh, you know, making it even more attractive to families.
2: Yeah, so I was thinking of how, uh, this is a few years ago already, uh, the STEM program yep. and that STEM wing. My daughters have gone through that, one becoming an agricultural engineer and then one using it to become a pilot. And then my other one is looking to become a you pilot. Know, uh, She wants to work with dead bodies. It's just the best way to put it, Uh, you know, to to look at those kinds of ministries, uh, those kind of vocations. But then also, I think it's become popular the last few years, and it might have to do with who you have teaching it too. is the trades program. I I see a lot more of the students going in those two areas.
1: Right. So back in 2014, the last time we uh, had a building expansion, our goal was to you know, build some science rooms that were not quite as antiquated as the ones that we're in. Actually, we're sitting in a our old chemistry room. Um, and we are going to add our Project Lead the Way STEM program. And since then, um, we're one of uh, only 26 schools in the state of Wisconsin that has the Distinguished Award. We have four years of engineering, four years of biomedical science, four years of computer science. And, you know, just what Pastor Zarling was saying, students are – graduating from here and doing some amazing things, you know, in the area of STEM. So when we did that project, we said, let's add some signature programs, if you will, to help us get a little bit more um, recognition in the community. And so when we added those rooms on, I think we were at 315 students. Uh, We're at 385. Obviously, there's a few other variables that, that play into that, but uh, it's been a blessing for us. 43% of our students uh, participate in some way, shape, or form in the Project Lead the Way STEM program. So it's really given us a, a platform for already gifted kids to really maximize their gifts and abilities. And, you know, your kids have benefited from that. and We've had other students uh, go on to do amazing things. And then the trades program. Because one of the things we want, we uh, know for sure is that Christian education isn't just for kids that are college-bound. So we want to make sure that Shoreline Lutheran High School is a place where anybody can come, get a Christ-centered education, and get preparation for what's next for them in their life of Christian service. So our goal is to have at least 10% of our graduates walk across the stage and into some kind of a trades apprenticeship. Last year we missed it by a point, something. And so Scott Zondag, our trades uh teacher works hard at getting kids connected to people in the field. And one of the cool things is is that um, a lot of the business owners in the trades love kids that have this Christian core values focus. Uh, they work hard. They show up on time. And apparently, you know, you talk to people in the hiring process. You can't, that's not necessarily the norm anymore. So when they have an opportunity to hire kids coming out of Shoreland, Uh, they take that opportunity. So it's been a real blessing.
2: Well, just the last thing you said, one of my members just opened an office downtown Racine, and he was uh, having interviews the other day, and he said 80% of those who said they were coming for an interview didn't show up. Yeah. And that was with him checking with them that same morning, texting them, are you coming? And then 80% didn't show up. So there is a definite Christian work ethic to our students and to the families
1: yep and that's a that's a blessing and I mean one of our goals is to try to get some of those kinds of people interested in investing you know uh, their dollars in a, an expansion project because one of the things that we need to add is more space for the trades just because we're full. Scott's got an overload right now and one of those part time teachers that were
2: well, Scott doesn't sleep, so that's okay. <laughs> right
1: right <laughs> It's true. Yeah. So, yeah, that's. I think that sets us apart from some of the other schools in the area too. Where some schools are there to do college prep, and we certainly are. If you want to go to Harvard, Yale, or wherever, you can. Uh, with the programs we have, if you want to be a full time, you know, pastor, teacher, in our our synod, you can, and you can also be an electrician. Um, so. When you
0: when you talk about uh, your time at Burlington, I heard that that was where, and and I keep. It keeps coming up in my mind because you said, uh, well, what, what uh, Zink was saying about the um, facility needing to, the people on the outside seeing the facility needs to look nice, uh, and, and what we've got going is such a great thing with the trades and with S- STEM, that uh, wasn't it at Burlington where you first coined the phrase BTL? <laughs> yeah.
1: Right, yeah. we it Yeah, big-time Lutheran is what BTL stands okay. for. So I was just... We had a growing enrollment. We won a lot of the sports championships, and it was kind of a joke, actually, with a friend of mine, Jeff Dorn, who's now with Jesus in heaven, but that was kind of a way to – he was at a Bethany Lutheran in Kenosha, and so we would compete all the time, and so it was kind of one of those – started out to be one of the fun things, and then I just kind of continued, if you want to We're just big-time Lutheran.
2: Last question I have for you, and it's – the reason I'm asking this question is twofold, because you are talking about the percentage of the student body in STEM and so forth, but I also hear the basketball team next door, and they're pretty excited. Do you know what kind of percentage you have with our student body that is involved with extracurricular activities, not just sports, but orchestra and the play and, and drama and so forth?
1: So we do a survey at the end of each year that's kind of an activity survey. So within the scope of that survey, we have obviously sports and music, but also um, National Honor Society, student council, homecoming dances, all the different kinds of activities that students could get involved with. And um, way more than 90% of our students are involved in something. So we all know that even in churches, if you get kids people engaged in the ministry other than just kind of the normal um, that you tend to keep them around. So I don't have the percentage offhand on what's, you know, that are involved in some of these bigger pieces, but just know that that, uh, for a while we were saying 99%, I think last year we were probably 94, or 95% of the students were involved in something. Yeah. So it's a real goal of ours, something we work at to get kids engaged in activities, because it's another opportunity to do Christ-centered ministry. You know, our sports teams and drama productions and music programs; those are all Christ-centered as well.
0: And those are some of the relationships that are are some of the most memorable for the students yep. that uh, that they make with their coaches, and their coaches are always presenting whatever they do in a in a Christ-centered kind of way.
1: Yeah, especially in the world of sports. Right, it's a yeah. great place to. Test all aspect of being a Christian, Um, and it's just a great learning, great learning place, extension of the classrooms for sure. Should we get into the gospel lesson? Yeah.
0: Uh, We'll read this uh, selection from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist appeared, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Yes, this is he of whom this was spoken through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all of Judea, and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You offspring of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not think of saying to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Already the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who comes after me is mightier than I. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing, fo- uh, his winnowing shovel is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire.
2: So, Jeremy, where was John the Baptist active
0: with his ministry? Uh, in the in the Jordan River Valley area um, it was what we would call wilderness um, a lot of times it's translated as desert but uh, you shouldn't think of like sahara or sand with cacti uh, and and no water there was water it was there was a river uh, and so um, if you've ever had the chance to travel there uh, you know that there's a lot of growth of uh, like trees and shrubbery and at the same time it's It's deserted in the sense that there's not a lot of population or civilization there. Um, And you can find certain parts of it that that are definitely, you know, sandy bluffs uh, and, you know, uh,
2: inhospitable. And this is going to be a good day's walk for the people to get out to where John's
0: preaching, right? Yeah, that was was really a miracle that you probably missed while I was reading it uh, when it said, Jerusalem, all of Judea and the region around the Jordan were going out to him. This is just like... If you think of suddenly the majority of Milwaukee, Chicago, and uh, everything in between decides to to all go to Burlington, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much uh, Lake Geneva or something,
1: and without social media to spread the word, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, it it was just a, a that's a truly truly a miracle of the Holy Spirit that this all happened at once.
2: And to draw the people out to the wilderness, Paul, uh, John's message was one of repent. So what does the word repent mean?
1: Well, it just means that you uh, you recognize your sin and your need for a Savior and then have a, a firm belief and trust that your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you. And then just from a Living a life of Christian service perspective, it just it's the one thing that keeps Christians going, is to know that we're always going to sin, um, but we have a Savior who loves us enough to forgive all of those sins, and so we live a life, try to live our lives in a way that uh, shows our love and appreciation for everything that Jesus has done for us.
2: Yeah, and our goal as pastors and teachers is to lead our students uh, into repentance, uh, the other day, was it uh, the last week when I was teaching my eighth graders, uh, when our principal came in, uh, I said, look at how quiet these students are. And he said, well, that's because of your classroom management. I said, no, it's because I warned them I was not in a good mood. And I was not in a good mood because I called a student up to me. He had the, the assignment had been to write a, a letter to the president or governor, someone they disagreed with in a policy, but to do so respectfully. Well, I asked the student when I called him up, I said, so uh, when did you get your social worker degree? He goes, what? And he said, well, you have it down here twice that you're a social worker. And then I asked him, what, what does this word mean? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, that's a really good word. How about this word? That's an even better word. What does that word mean? He goes, I don't know. I said, did you write this? I, I guess not. <laughs> but it's it's leading them to repentance because you know they think they can be so smart and not realizing that we're just a little bit smarter than they are we've been around the block but the idea is not just to show them that they're wrong it's to turn them around it's to point them back to christ away from the lies of satan and their sinful nature and turn them to the truth of god it's to turn them away from the path that's leading them to hell and turn them to the path that's leading them to the kingdom of heaven.
1: Yeah, that's really one of the blessings here at Shoreland is our chapel times. You know, we put together Jeremy and Tom Bauer and a few other people put together uh, just a beautiful lineup of chapels that we get a chance to obviously have a strong emphasis on law and then gospel. And so every single day when you're sitting in chapel, you hear this whole thing take. Take place where we're reminded of our sin and then reminded of Jesus' love for us, and then a call to repentance. That's just, it's a powerful thing.
2: So, with that call to repentance, Jeremy, why did John dress and live the way he did?
0: Uh, It was certainly striking and uh, kind of preached a message uh, all on its own. Um, Some might say that the camel's hide is uh, very different. And unusual is certainly kind of uncomfortable, um, and and so you could see he was not at one that was um, fixated on on getting a lot of comfort out of life, and so it, that sort of sends the message of uh, I don't really care if you don't like me; I can be uncomfortable. Um, uh, other people would say that uh, the camel's hide was kind of like very commonplace, uh, everyday person's clothing. And so you might even think of it like jeans. He wore jeans like everybody else wore jeans. Um, but, uh, his diet, uh, he, um, I don't know. What do you, what do you get out of his diet? I wouldn't you know, want I mean, it. In, <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of energy. He needed he need to be energetic. He needed the honey, um, the, the grasshoppers or locusts have a lot of protein, Um, I can handle the honey part.
1: I don't know about the (laughs) locusts.
0: If you fry them up and put some chocolate on them,
2: they're probably not so bad. (laughs) Well, and I know I've talked to Jeremy a lot about this over the years since he's been a member at Water of Life, but his ministry, my ministry, is we're we're to be John the Baptist. Uh, And I know in talking with uh, other pastors, like the first episode we started doing this when Tom Bauer, who's pastor at Shoreland, You know, he and Jeremy and I talked about how to minister to teens, as we're blessed with a lot of teens in our congregation too. And we realized, well, uh, it's about building relationships with them, it's not about being cool. Uh, Some of the teens, you know, that are friends with my daughter Belle, you know, they talk about how they know pastors that, you know, try to look cool with the skinny jeans and untucked shirt. And they realize, and i realized i'm never going to be cool again okay i'm not only am i uh, a father of a high schooler but we had a baptism for one of our members who's a strolling teacher and when my wife shelly and i were at the party we're old enough to be the parents of the teachers <laughs> yep we're old enough to you be that like, how you feel yeah exactly and so we're not going to be cool and that's okay the students you know we had 14 teenagers in our teen bible study on sunday You know, that's pretty awesome. And uh, it's not, like I said, it's not about connecting with them. uh, Well, it is all about connecting with them in a relationship. And it's calling them to repentance. And I told them, even though it's a lot of work for me to find guest uh, called workers to teach the Sunday morning adult Bible study, so I and my wife can teach the teens, I know no one else is going to get on the teens like she and I will and and that's that's what our ministry is to teens.
1: Yeah, and I think you know we joked around a little bit about uh just treat kids like third graders. Yeah. But it's all it's really about building relationships. If you're going to be a good third grade teacher, they have to trust you, right? You have to make a connection to them. And so it's really no different in terms of working with our high school kids. It's all about building relationships. I talk about uh making deposits and withdrawals. So the more deposits you can make in terms of I
0: don't know. C- complimenting and Yeah,
1: complimenting, you know, and then there's there's opportunities where you can make some pretty significant withdrawals in terms of when you have to and still have money in the bank yeah. so that that relationships is intact.
2: So Paul, who do you think would be the and let's in a tight spot, but from what you've seen of graduates of Charlotte, who do you think is usually their f- favorite teacher? Well,
1: it's interesting um there's a reason I'm asking it with this part of the discussion, because I think it's Mr. Strutz. Yep. So when they come back to visit, uh, they typically would make a trip to the C Center. So it's a place where they knew that without the help of our Shoreland Educational Excellence Center st- staff, that they probably wouldn't have walked the stage. And then they come to Mr. Strutz's office, which is, I always think it's interesting. Uh, what, uh, what because is he's our dean of students, yeah. so he's the disciplinarian. Um, but Paul Strutz does an amazing job of making deposits with students. Um, he's a softy. I don't know if this is all out there, but he's a, he's a soft hearted guy and he struggles to make it through sometimes and talking about things just cause he gets emotional mm. and nobody would know that. Um, but he cares about the kids so much. And I think they know that deep down inside. Even when he has to be the tough guy. Even when he has to be the tough yeah. guy. Right. And so that's, uh thanks for asking that question. I think that's a good example of it 's all about building relationships and it doesn't mean you have to be uh, a
0: appeaser right you don't have to be their friend
1: yeah. right it 's not about being a friend it 's about being a you know an adult in their lives that they can trust and they know that what you 're doing for them is for their good yeah i had,
0: I had no clue that's where you, where you were going with that question, but it seems like you knew yep. right away what he meant, and that makes sense because I was just a couple of weeks ago talking to a senior who I had in class last year, and I, and I said, so, what, what's your favorite class this year? And she said, Mr. Strutz. And I said, oh, I, I always hear him yelling at the, <laughs> his students. And she said, oh, if he's yelling, it is, uh, it is joking. It's, right. all, it's all just good-hearted, uh, and he's a really good lecturer, I guess.
1: Yeah, a good conversationalist, I think, and gets kids interested in the conversation.
2: Yeah, and, and I think of this too is I've had some of my teens from church texting me at ten fifteen, ten thirty at night and I answer because they're teens, but I'm thinking, how young do you think I am that I'm I'm not usually gonna be up that late? But if if a teen's gonna text me, uh I'm gonna answer them because it's all about relationships right. and, and some of the moms have said to me, This is my dream to have my teenager that interested in talking to their pastor about yeah, something
1: that's a blessing yeah and one of the things when we survey our seniors at the end of the year um we ask them two questions what uh, what went well your four years uh what can we do better and then uh, how prepared are you for your life of christian service so three questions but the what do we do well the number one answer year in and year out is teachers and the relationships that they build with with students and I think, obviously, that just makes it um, so much uh, easier to share, you know, use the law and the gospel. And it just opens up that opportunity to have, uh, to let the Holy Spirit do the work through that.
2: Jeremy, what does it mean when John is uh, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near? And how does that apply then to the second petition of the Lord's Prayer?
0: The kingdom—I I often think—is a maybe a better word uh, to use as kingship. Uh, it's an activity or a, a phenomenon, and it's—it's it's basically when. Uh, well, you know what the Sunday school answer is always is God's word or Jesus, little kids just, Jesus, God's Word. Um, it's kind of that, but it's, it's more specific. It's when somebody is talking God's Word out loud, and it enters a heart and takes control of that heart. So I, I think a good way to think of it is like influence, and it, uh, maybe to apply it to the high school or Lutheran grade school or whatever level is uh, we're asking God, please increase your influence over my decision-making, over my life. Uh, let your... Let there be more of you ruling in my heart. Uh, The more I hear in chapel every day or church on Sunday, uh, the more I hear your words, the more you're going to influence my choices. And uh, that's, that's God's kingship, his kingdom growing.
2: So we've talked a lot about repentance, but John also says to the crowds, to the Pharisees, Sadducees, and everyone else that have come out to the Judean countryside, he says, uh, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean, Paul?
1: Well, I think it just means that you want to live your life in a way that shows uh, your thankfulness for for the work that Jesus did for us. So to be able to confess your sins and, and uh, know 100% sure they're forgiven, no matter what the sin is, no matter how big or little the sin is, um... Because of what Jesus did for us, we know that our Heavenly Father doesn't see our sins. And uh, that gives us opportunity as God's redeemed children to, to live a life uh, that glorifies God in everything that we, we think, say, and, and do. Obviously, that's a challenge. Um, but I can't imagine going through life um, thinking that some of those sins um, are, have stuck Right. And that I'm not quite sure if they're going to be forgiven or not forgiven. And I know that some of our kids live that way uh, when they when they maybe don't believe in Jesus as their savior and how different that must be from. I don't know how you live your life. Don't just
0: say, oh, I repent. I'm sorry. And oh, and you forgive me. And that's great. And then uh, you you keep on doing it more. You want to actually show in, in keeping with repentance, show that you think this is a bad thing. I don't want to go back to that way of which going and saying something to Mr. Strutt's first thing when you return, that's, that's a pretty big fruit yeah. of repentance.
1: So just an example today, I just want to be too specific, but uh, a couple of our international students are in a tiff, you know, and are, have really hard feelings against each other and they don't understand what it means to repent. They don't understand what it means to forgive, and it's just—it's a really difficult conversation because you know they—they don't—they don't at this point yet. But that's why it's a, a blessing to be a part of a ministry like that too. That because we know the Holy Spirit's here and working hard, and I have opportunities to talk about that with students who don't understand. But you could—you can, can tell the difference when that's not a part of what they know. Um they can 't accept each other 's apologies, and they they can 't move on uh, knowing that there 's forgiveness or things because they don 't get it so yeah, and you so see the difference,
2: yeah, and so like jeremy said if if you 've repented of lying, well you 're not going to keep lying if you've right. repented of gossip you 're going to stop gossiping if you 've repented of a sexual sin, that was what we talked about in our teen Bible study on. Uh, Shelly, who teaches when I'm not at the Racine campus where all the teens are, she was pretty grateful that I was teaching on the second half of Romans 1, which is all about homosexuality and so forth. But if you leave that lifestyle, or we talked about it's not just a homosexual lifestyle, it's a straight lifestyle that's outside of the bounds of marriage, then you're, you're, Fruits of repentance is you're not going back to those sins. It's like Jesus says. It's like a dog returning to its vomit or a pig that goes back and wallows in the mud. You stay away from the mud. You go the opposite direction of the vomit. and, And as teachers, you know, Jeremy, you and I, as pastors, we don't usually have to deal with the vomit. That's a thing for the, the teachers, right? That's, that's got to be one of the worst things of all of yeah, parents. That was
1: back in the third
0: grade days. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For the Christmas Eve service. Oh. Yep. yep, that's yep. happened too. Yep, that's happened. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully nobody's listening during a meal mealtime.
2: <laughs> uh, Jeremy, what does John mean when he says he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire?
0: uh well he's not saying that there's some kind of separate baptism uh from from the water ceremony the the water poured on in god's name is a saving bath i'm actually getting ready to preach a chapel devotion on that this wednesday um but uh d- jesus is the one who d- gives the baptism its power he's the one who actually uh in it pours out the holy spirit in that in that washing and uh it the holy spirit is is like a fire it burns off the impurities and pentecost what did you have tongues of fire on 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 their heads um the holy spirit is uh god's word is a fire that that burns
2: yeah do you think this is the fire is judgment do you think it's cleansing do you think it's a pointing ahead to the
0: to pentecost i i think there's room for all of those thoughts um yeah, it well, and, and one of the things I think to keep in mind is that John was a little bit disillusioned. It seems like John was a little bit disillusioned with Jesus because uh, he sent his disciples at one point when he was in prison to say, uh, are you the one who was to come or should we expect somebody else? That's going to be next Sunday's gospel. Okay, yep. well, there you go and and it kind of seems like John John was pretty fire and brimstone he let people have it and they needed to have it but then Jesus came along and he was uh uh socializing with prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and uh John it kind of seems like John maybe thought Jesus was being a little too permissive and not being hard hitting enough with the law uh and uh, uh so i think there might be a little bit of that here too where um John is really looking at Jesus as coming as the judge, and Jesus will come as the judge on the last day, but at least with his first coming, um, it it should be the fire of God's word that Jesus is uh, spreading.
2: Yeah, I mentioned this in my sermon when I preached on this text about, well, like you said, Jeremy, John's baptism and Jesus' baptism are the same. It's just that John's baptism was anticipatory. It was pointing ahead to Jesus. Jesus' baptism is the reality. He is the incarnation of God in human flesh. And then he's sending his apostles and pastors out to baptize. And I was blessed on Sunday to to baptize uh, the baby of one of the Shoreland teachers, mm-hmm. Uh And I'm getting softer, too, as I'm getting older, but I didn't didn't choke up uh, with the baptism. But it is is something that's powerful as you look at this text as a pastor to be able to give the kingdom of heaven to this little child, to give the Holy Spirit and fire to that infant at the font, just with some water and uh, some words. But it's not just some words, it's God's words. Uh, Paul, what is what is John describing when he's talking about winnowing shovel and chaff and unquenchable fire and axe at the root of the trees?
1: Judgment Day. So the realities of sin, or realities are that, uh, you know, there's going to be a time when Jesus returns. You know, during this Advent season, we have an opportunity to look forward to not only his birth, but also his second coming. And so the realities are those there will be a judgment day and believers and unbelievers will be separated
2: so, so what's the imagery of the, the chaff and the shovel
0: I, th- I think the person who grew up on a farm should have to answer that anytime
2: there's <laughs> any a farming question there we go. He, he just directs it back to me uh, yeah so what it is is you know we had growing up on the farm was just an old combine we only planted oats a few times, but the idea would be that with a combine, uh, the oats would settle in the bin, and then the chaff is blown out. In this picture that John's giving is, you've picked everything, and then you throw it up in the air. The heavy oats or wheat is falling down to the ground. The chaff blows away in the wind, and then it's burned up, and then a dead tree that's not producing the fruits of repentance like we talked about then the axe is ready to cut that tree down. And so the like you said Paul that's judgment day the unbelievers are burned up in the unquenchable fire because they're chaff, they're not worth anything uh, because they don't have Christ and uh, they are dead trees, they're not worth anything. But those that are the believers, he doesn't Uh, You you have to apply what he's talking about here. The believers are the wheat. They're the oats. They're the grain that you're going to save up and store uh, from the harvest, and then they are the living trees that are bearing fruit, and they'll keep those. Anything else you guys want to bring up with the gospel lesson? All right, let's get into the epistle lesson.
0: Romans 15. Paul writes to the Christians in Rome. Indeed, whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that through patient endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we would have hope. And may God, the source of patient endurance and encouragement, grant that you agree with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that with one mind, in one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For this reason, accept one another as Christ also accepted you to the glory of God. For I am saying that Christ became a servant of those who are circumcised for the sake of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs. He also did this so that the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will praise you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. And again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples give him praise. Excuse me. And again, Isaiah says, There will be a root of Jesse, and he is the one who will rise up to rule the Gentiles. On him the Gentiles will place their hope. Now, may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
2: So, Jeremy, in verse 7, Paul's talking to the Romans to accept one another. Who are the two groups that he's talking about accepting?
0: So you've got the Jews, uh, people who grew up with the the true faith, uh, or at least what was the true faith of the Old Testament, uh, and uh, were very well familiar with God and his word. And then uh, you've got Gentiles who are uh, the converts. They are non-Jews. people who come from uh, the, the pagan Roman or heathen uh, Greek background. And uh, they, w- they would have had very different cultural backgrounds. They would have had very different uh, language backgrounds. And uh, a lot of reasons, a lot of temptation to be at odds with each other.
2: So, why are, Paul, why are endurance and encouragement such important qualities in God's people?
1: Well, I think as we live in a, a sinful world— and um even going back to the to the last reading where we um you look at the resistance that came by John you know we always you know i guess struggle and battle with the uh, wisdom of god versus the wisdom of the world and i think it's sometimes uh discouraging um to I don't know, you spend a lot of time you know, having a, somebody in your school or you talk to people about God's word and you don't see the, the fruits of that t- taking place or there's, you know, a lot of people that are, um, it's well, difficult to be a Christian in today's world, right? Well, it's um, kind of like, I, I, I think I know
0: precisely the case you were talking about with the international students not getting along and, uh. It, it, i'm sure for, especially for people in administrative positions you, you were just saying mr struts is kind of a tender heart underneath and uh when you're you when you are constantly putting out fires or dealing with uh disagreements or you've got angry parents or people from the community that are hounding you uh that's just got to be very tiring and it ends up calling for a lot of endurance like you gotta keep oh here here comes another one let's keep putting up with
1: this. Yeah, or a teacher that teaches six sections of, you know, high school students. That's, uh, I I love being a teacher, but it's, uh, you know, for people that get a chance to be in classrooms, it's, uh, you need endurance. Yeah. You know, just to work, you know, ministry is hard no matter what you're doing, right? I was
2: was talking to our principal, David Ring, last week, and he said something to me about, you know what, for a week, you and I should switch. I'll be pastor I'll do the pastor stuff and you do principal stuff and I said absolutely not I said I, I went into the pastor ministry so I didn't have to work for a living uh, there's no way that I'm gonna I, I get tired teaching one class of being with these students and it's it's hard to be on your game all the time all day long as a teacher uh, to hold their attention uh, last week, I was reading to the third, fourth, and fifth graders, and I, I got to read to the third grader Skippy John jones, so that was that was pretty fun. But the two books that the fourth and fifth grade teachers gave me I was bored by them. The kids loved them, but I was starting to fall asleep while I was reading them. Uh, just to to be on you know it 's one thing to be on for an hour while i 'm teaching. You know Catechism class, but to be on for six hours straight and then not go to the bathroom until you 're done with the day
1: <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you need some encouragement,
2: yeah, you need encouragement, but it 's that encouragement when when you meet with these these kids so i 've got uh, the funeral next Monday for the great grandmother of one of the shorerland students and the great grandmother of one of our eighth graders and to have that encouragement, to realize, all right, all this is worthwhile. Those are two good girls that I'm going to be doing, you know, the great-granddaughters of this amazing lady that took them in, even though the whole family life is just messed up. And yet that encouragement to go, all right, you know, God is using me to do something pretty amazing in the
1: lives of these young people. Yeah, and tell you the truth, uh, the big encouragements comes from, actually, that senior survey I talk about when you ask these 18-year-old kids who are really, really ready to be done with high school, and they talk about um, how much Jesus is here at Shoreland. That's one of the things that we do well, and I thought, you know, that's just really an encouragement because then, you know, every teacher um, in their classrooms, every coach, every director is, uh, is using this Christ-centered opportunity that we have, and that's a... Uh, that's one of the things I, I love looking at the survey. I mean there's some comments you don't aren't necessarily happy with, but in general where these young people who are doing this anonymously, you know, talk about the blessings of having, you know, Jesus be such a big part of the work we get to do here at Shortland. and those are among other things, you know, when kids come back um and you see kids that you uh didn't really think we're on target here at Shoreland. And then they say, well, you know what? The thing I miss most about uh, high school is chapel. And you think, really? <laughs> you certainly didn't look like that's that right. mm-hmm. back in the day. But, you you know, that's a, just a good reminder that it's not about us. It's about the Holy Spirit working faith in these kids' hearts. And eventually uh, they really appreciate you know, what they had here and what this has done for them as they live their life of Christian service.
2: So, Jeremy, you've been on staff here at Schrodinger for three years. Now, why is a spirit of unity—let's apply this to, like, the staff at a high school. Why is a spirit of unity that Paul talks about such an important quality?
0: God also created uh, this wonderful thing called diversity, and uh, that means people are different. They're going to have uh, different styles and different tastes and different methods. And uh, the in a sinful world, uh, diversity can end up getting turned into, uh, well, like we were, I was saying about the Jews and the Gentiles, they're different. And there's a lot of temptation for that to turn into conflict. And same thing with fellow ministers of the gospel. There's a lot of um, uh, temptation to look at our differences or our different approaches and uh, d- use that as a, a springboard for disagreement. Uh, and, and that's why we have this encouragement from Paul here that uh, it's, it's an even better gift when God can give us unity and bring our diverse viewpoints together into one unified mission. Um, so what verse is that? I'm, I can't find it. Oh, uh, verses five and six, so that with one mind, yeah. in one voice. Uh, yeah, it's like that beard oil. How good and pleasant it is when the oil is dripping down. There, there was a sermon that uh, the pastor of our church gave where he used beard oil as an example of that he was preaching on the psalm where it says how good and pleasant it is when brothers brothers live together in unity. It's like, and then it's, it, it was a good illustration because that's actually what the psalm says. It's like oil dripping down Aaron's head and onto his beard and onto his robe. And uh, it, it, it it shines, it it shines and it keeps everything all in one. So, so the
2: illustration, Paul, was, and uh, the, the context was it was our uh, outdoor service and it was really the first service since we had met here at Shoreland in, to celebrate Reformation uh, two years ago uh, where we took the vote to... Become one congregation. And then so this was the first time at our church picnic in September of 2021 to be able to have everyone together on one campus again. And so, yeah, that was the, the text I had preached on. And, and I talked about how it's not just beard oil, and I used the illustration that my wife had given me beard oil, but that, that beard oil from the Old Testament, uh, no one else had that recipe. It was a beard oil. That scent and so forth was only to be used for the priest, so that when you were around the priest for sacrifice, sacrifices and prayers and so forth, uh, you would smell that. And it was mm. something special to be you know, united together. But, Paul, talk about that unity and how special that is to have so many congregations operate jointly a Luther, area Lutheran high school like this.
1: Right. So, Shoreland is owned and operated by 19 different. You know, Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod congregations. It's uh, it's just a blessing. I think there's probably about eight thousand, you know, members in the federation, um, all of one faith, of one purpose in terms of how we want to share the gospel with more people. And they decided that they were all going to get together and operate a, a high school, grades nine through twelve, and. That spirit of unity carries over into our faculty and staff, too, where we really believe that the kind of culture and climate that we're able to maintain has a lot to do with um, every single teacher from one classroom to the next, from one office uh, desk to the other office desk, um, is of one faith and one belief in uh, members of our Wells Church, too, so that there's never a never a time where a student from here goes from one classroom to the next or then to their pastor or their former teachers in their grade school that are going to hear a different, different message when it comes to, to Christ. And there's not too many, uh, not too many schools like ours that, that have that. Um, and so what a blessing, and it, it shows in terms of how we uh, carry out our ministry here.
2: And when I teach on the doctrine of fellowship of whom we worship with, pray with, commune with, I'll often use Shoreland as an example of that, that doctrine of fellowship. And the reason I, the way I use it is that uh, here in Racine we have Racine Lutheran High School, and before nineteen sixty, uh, the Wisconsin Synod and the Missouri Synod jointly operated Racine Lutheran High School because we were in fellowship together. But then when the Missouri Synod uh, was going away from proper scriptural doctrines. The Missouri, uh, Wisconsin Synod called them to repent, and they didn't, and then we broke away from them, but that also meant we broke away from uh, Racine Lutheran High School. And the way it was written in their founding documents that if one church body left, then the remaining church body kept the high school. And so since the Wisconsin Synod left, the Missouri Synod, that fellowship, then Missouri Synod kept receiving Lutheran, and then a few years that would have been around 1960. I'm not yep. sure when we broke away from them with the high school, but it had to be pretty soon after that. But then 51 years ago, yep. you know, because we're united, and I, and I use that unity example because people often use, think of the doctrine of fellowship as a negative thing, but it's a beautiful thing. It's being united, and to see what people who were firm on the truths of Scripture, you know, uh, one of our members uh, was a founding member of, of Shoreland, getting us started, Norm McGinnis, uh, that when he, uh, when he and others started the high school and got the plans going, and then, you know, 51 years ago, Getting it going, and that doesn't happen unless we have that spirit of unity and the truths of Scripture.
0: That was something that always impressed me th- within the past couple of years was th- having a having a child that's been involved in sports, and uh, I never would have thought it, but it's kind of a neat thing to celebrate. Uh, Mr. Grow and our athletic director and uh, and others as well, uh, pointing out that all of our coaching staff are united in faith. Like e- e- we right. don't, you know, we don't farm out. Um, you know, some obscure, whatever obscure sport you want to think of. We don't say, "Well, let's get somebody, anybody in here." Uh, no, we want to find somebody that is united with us in faith. I think that's a neat thing to celebrate.
1: Yeah, Cause we we believe that um, what happens on the courts, fields is just an extension of our Christ-centered classrooms. As we said before, there's a lot of uh, life lessons to be learned in in basketball and football and why not teach those lessons from a Christ-centered perspective again? Yeah, great blessing.
2: All right, fantastic. We'll, we'll wrap it up here. So this is Michael Zarling with Paul Scriver and Northern Lightenens. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.
1: Thanks for having me.